I'm Josh Porter, and this is the Van City Church Podcast. The following teaching is part four in the series, Developing a Rule of Life. We are fascinated by the idea of someone who lives with integrity by a code. It's what many of us feel is missing from our discipleship, integrity, discipline, a code. This is what we have in mind when we talk about developing a rule of life. In 1986, British author Alan Moore and artist Dave Gibbons published what would become arguably the world's most acclaimed graphic novel, which is a book called Watchmen. Now, neither Moore nor Gibbons claimed they had any sense of the legacy that Watchmen would enjoy. In fact, it would become the only graphic novel to appear on Time Magazine's list of the greatest 100 English language novels of the 20th century. And in all the critical acclaim and the bestseller lists and the academic essays that have been published on the book, the enduring longevity of the book, one character became the undeniable favorite of Watchmen, and he's called Rorschach. The thing is, uh, Alan Moore, the author of the story, designed Rorschach as a bad example, and he consistently lamented his enduring popularity. Because Rorschach was designed to illustrate what Moore believed to be the inherent flaws of objectivism, which is a branch of philosophy that argues that there are things that are inherently right or wrong, regardless of belief or culture or time or place. So Moore used Rorschach as a bad example or as a uh, contradiction. His morals and his practices are at least questionable, if not outright bad. His philosophy has cost him at least a normal life and at most his sanity. But audiences saw in Rorschach something else that fascinated them and that they've been talking about for decades, which is integrity. Rorschach's creed, or his mantra, after all, is, and I quote, never compromise, not even in the face of Armageddon. Now, I'm sure that there are readers who completely miss the point of Rorschach's fascinating and flawed character, but I wonder if there are lots of people who can see how problematic he is, but that can't help but be taken by someone with such resolve. That's a fascinating thing. Never compromise. We are fascinated by people who live by codes or who have integrity or who have discipline, regardless of what we think about how they use that discipline, whether it's Rorschach or like an Olympic athlete or monks or nuns or those completing the 12-step program or who travel around the world doing justice or Mandalorians, people who live by codes or Jesus of Nazareth. So one more time as we end uh, near the end of this series about a rule of life, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 15. We began this series with what we believe is the secret of spiritual formation. Not long before Jesus' death, a death of which Jesus was aware and for which he was prepared, Jesus left his disciples with a beautiful and profound metaphor for what it means to truly be his apprentices, his disciples. And it's in John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. You guys all right? You ready to do a little work? Great, thank you. Let's read John 15, beginning with verse 1. Jesus himself says, I am the true vine... And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He goes on, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, my teaching remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is far from the first time we've read this passage together. It won't be the last, I'm sure. You see, something we've argued dozens of times is that none of the practices of Jesus um, to which we've dedicated so much time, so much attention, none of these spiritual disciplines are in ends unto themselves, meaning the point of fasting is not fasting. The point of Scripture isn't just Scripture reading. The point in all of it is God. The practices are all a means to an end, and the end is God. Jesus taught his disciples the secret to spiritual formation, remain in me or abide in the vine in some of your translations. In other words, stay connected to Jesus via his spirit. This is why Dallas Willard argued, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. Now, by God's Spirit, alive in us, we can now be with Jesus always, just like he promised, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to practice the lifestyle of Jesus, the spiritual disciplines, the things of Jesus. We can experience the freedom that Jesus promised and intimacy with God as we are shaped into the people that God designed us to be. And most people, I would, I would wager, most of us anyway, would very much like to become the people that God has designed us to be. We want a code, The idea that one can understand and implement a vision for their lives, a mission for their lives, and to draw from both of those things, mission and vision, guiding practices by which they order their days and weeks and months and years, most of us find that type of thing at least interesting, if not appealing or deeply admirable. For those of us who follow Jesus, many if not most of us often feel as if this is the thing that is missing from our discipleship, a code, integrity, discipline. And it's not just that it's missing, it's that we actively miss it. We're actually aware of its absence a lot of the time. We want it and we know that it's not there. And what's worse, we usually know what's in the way and we feel like we're helpless against it. I mean, you read about Jesus constantly going away to pray or that he would spend entire nights in prayer. You read about Jesus' deep familiarity with the scriptures or that he would fast for long periods of time or that he did silence and solitude, that he lived in community with people, that he showed up to synagogue and participated. And exactly zero readers say, Jesus seems lazy, you know, or Jesus seems really aimless. His life seems overstuffed with things that are peripheral to his calling. Zero readers say, Jesus seems as if his life is chaotic and purposeless. But we often feel as if our lives are those things, chaotic and overstuffed. 
Jesus is assured his vocation is determined. His purpose seems settled. He works really hard, but he also goes away to rest really well. He gets into all kinds of trouble as a result of honoring his own conviction, his code, and yet he's still somehow free from anxiety, free from addiction, free from lust or materialism or greed or stress. So we think, man, what the heck? And, and then hilariously, the answer to the conundrum is right there in the story. You actually have to read the answer while you're reading the question. So we sit and we go, oh man, Jesus sure is deliberate about the spiritual rhythms of his life. He's always praying a certain way. He fasts a certain way. He does community and rest and work a certain way. Man, I wonder how he was so focused and so connected to the Father and so free from anxiety and fear and stress. The strangest guy, this Jesus. And when we connect those two obvious things, most of us, if we're honest, know what's keeping us from them. We look out at what seems like a marathon full of hurdles and pitfalls and brick walls and, you know, moats with alligators in them. Yes, I do want to be like Jesus, not just disciplined, but unhurried and unanxious. Yes, I want that, but I also want to look at my phone. You know, or I want intimacy with God. Of course I do. Who doesn't want intimacy with God? But I'm tired. You know, I want to sleep or that kind of thing. It's hard. <laughs> or I want to be more satisfied as a baseline disposition. I want more peace. Even in the chaos of life, even in suffering, I want more peace. I, I like Netflix, you know, <laughs> or whatever your thing is. But this isn't a new problem. Even though the early church obviously didn't have smartphones and streaming services, there, all, there has always been something in the distractions and corruptions of the world to draw disciples of Jesus away from the practices and away from the presence of Jesus. And so the early church proposed a means of fighting back against those things, and they called it a rule of life. So for the past few weeks, we have been in a series and a set of practices called Developing a Rule of Life. So if you're new to Van City, our approach to the teaching part of the Sunday gatherings is that we take a book of the Bible, we work through it one line at a time, one word at a time, really, and we do our best to study and learn and apply the teachings of Jesus and the Scriptures to our lives in the here and now. Then every few months, we pause from that, from the line-by-line -line study of the text, and we focus on an ancient spiritual discipline or a principle of spiritual and emotional health. We talk about them here on Sundays for a few weeks, and then we meet in smaller groups that we call Van City Communities, and we talk it out. We actually give it a shot, you know, accountability and dialogue and trial and error and encouragement, all that. And we've been at that for a few years now. We've been studying the Gospel of Matthew in depth for years and uh, we've also worked through and walked through prayer and silence and solitude, fasting, dealing with your past, discovering your identity and calling, forgiveness, community, naming your stage of apprenticeship, fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. And none of these series or sets of practices were designed as comprehensive final statements on those respective topics. They've been mostly introductions or a way to begin practice or a way to begin learning. And the thing is, we're not going to spend a decade in a series about community, obviously, so eventually we have to move on from the topic leaving some of you to feel at a loss as to how one implements all this stuff that we're learning one thing after another uh, with longevity and success and consistency. And that's okay. Do not feel uniquely discouraged 
by that. Implementing the things of Jesus is difficult for all of us. Some things more than others, depending on your season of life and your stage of apprenticeship and your personality. And a rule of life is not a convenient solution to all of that, but it is, at least in my personal experience, the best way to organize and implement the practices of Jesus into your unique season of life, personality, and calling. The idea is not to give you more stuff, more work, another thing to do. The idea is not to confine or restrict you. The idea is actually that we would find more freedom. Margaret Gunther says it really well. She says, a good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never constrict us. So the idea is to look at your own personality, your season of life, the person Jesus has asked you to be, and to establish for yourself adaptable rhythms that will enable and empower you to live and thrive as a disciple of Jesus. A rule of life is the code many of us wish we had the integrity and discipline we've seen in other people and things, and often feel is missing from our own lives. All of us live by certain rhythms and routines, good or bad, organized or chaotic. And a rule of life is a means by which we examine those rhythms and routines, dispense with the unhealthy things, and organize the things that enable you to thrive as a disciple of Jesus. So the plan for this evening is to walk through the seven categories that will become your rule of life, And then, over the next few weeks, as you meet in your communities to work this out, you will write your own rule of life. Now, a bit of warning, tonight is more like a lecture than our typical Bible teachings, but I'm convinced that there's something here of tremendous value for enabling us to actually put the teachings of Jesus into practice if we let it. This is a time-tested practice from centuries of church history. Now, there's never been one set template for a rule of life. It kind of varies depending on author and time and place, but the categories have, for the most part, been pretty consistent. They include things like abiding, the mind, the body, relationships and sexuality, work and rest, money, and the gospel and hospitality. Now, each of these categories translate into practices, and each of those practices you organize by rhythms daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and then some of them annually. I want to walk you through each category, and I'll use my own rule of life to illustrate some of the possibilities. Of course, I am in no way saying that you need to emulate my rule. Not at all. You can use it as inspiration if that's helpful. Um, You can steal something if you like it, or you can just get an idea of how a rule might look. Does that make sense? Great, thanks. So the whole thing starts with abiding. Now, these are the direct and deliberate practices of what we just read, abiding in the vine, remaining in Jesus, as Jesus himself said, remaining connected to the spirit of Jesus. They include everything from morning prayer to scripture reading, worship music, the daily office, which is a a recurring time in the day to recenter yourself with prayer. Or the examine, which is a practice we did in the past um, that's a way of praying through a day's events before God. 
things like Sabbath, fasting, silence and solitude, ways of remaining connected to Jesus. My current rule is for morning prayer every day, um, which could be contemplation or practicing the presence or imaginative prayer. It's always at least intercession, which is just asking God for things. I read the scriptures, I do listening prayer, and then I kind of journal out the experience, whatever I'm hearing or thinking in light of the scriptures I've been reading are prayer. My watch uh, beeps at 1 p.m. for the daily office, and then I take anywhere from 30 seconds to like five minutes to kind of recenter myself in prayer. I have, like many of you, community every week. We pray together at community. We walk through the practices together. Um, I'm at pre-gathering prayer on Sunday before the gathering begins. You're all invited to that as well, by the way. It's an extended session of listening prayer as a group. Um, I pray and worship with you guys every single Sunday. Every month, I spend a, a day fasting, and every year, I'm going to spend a day um, doing a silence and solitude retreat, which is just a long, all-day session of silence and solitude. A lot of you are already doing uh, some of those things or several of those things or more than that, in, uh, the things that are on that list. If you're just getting started, our recommended uh, baseline practice is to simply commit to a daily time of quiet prayer and Bible reading, even if it's totally brief and simple, and then to going to church on Sunday. The next category is the mind. This has to do with the kinds of habits that occupy mental real estate mental real estate, and that shape what we believe and what we do as a result. What we give our attention to shapes the person that we become over time. So you have to ask yourself, are the things to which I devote my attention likely to make me more aware of and in touch with God's presence, or are they more likely to distract me from God's presence? So to do things that deliberately put you in a space to think of God and be shaped by the things of God, it could include anything like reading the scripture in the morning. Obviously, there's overlap with the other uh, category we just read, studying the Bible, reading theology, spiritual reading, uh, coming to church on Sunday, learning to practice gratitude, writing out a rule of digital life, which is something we talked about a while back, taking a digital Sabbath, which is when you kind of power down devices for a whole day, or setting a, a daily limit on device use, that kind of thing. There's obvious overlap with this category and other ones. My current rule is daily Bible reading, like I already said, imaginative prayer to kind of shape my mind around the things of Jesus. When I get home from work, I put my phone away until my kids are in bed. Um, I read Bible and th theology throughout the week, but I also have to for my job, so that's easy. And then... Um, once a week, I turn off my phone for a whole day. Every week, I spend Sunday here again with you guys in worship and prayer and study and listening to God's Spirit together and hearing God's Spirit through other people. If you're just beginning, the recommended baseline practice is to try to disengage from devices for like a set time on a daily and or weekly basis, whether that's powering off for a whole day or just putting your phone away for a certain part of the day, um, set specific limits on your device use or something like that, and then to commit to a specific set routine of regularly taking in truth through your medium of choice, reading, podcasting sermons, studying the scriptures, whatever it might be. Start small and make yourself room to grow. The next category is the body. When I first began doing research on, for this practice, it was last fall, I found it kind of interesting that every source I consulted on the idea of a rule of life from the fifth century to 2019, they all mentioned physical fitness, which 
actually makes a lot of sense. Remember in the story of the Bible, you are not a soul in a body. You are a soul and you are a body. The Bible goes as far as to describe your physical body as a temple for the Holy Spirit and says that you can actually sin against your own body. Thus, how you care for your physical body matters to God. To say nothing of the preponderance of scientific data we now have that connects your physical fitness to your mental health. So regular exercise, for example, has been shown to reduce anxiety and stress, which is great, I'm sure, to encourage better sleep and better focus and to even effectively treat PTSD and, get this, great news for me, to effectively treat ADD. So I'm up here saying this as someone who is by no means a physical fitness enthusiast um, I hope I'm not a total slob, but I've never been into the whole fitness culture thing. I hate hikes. I hate Nike. I hate REI. <laughs> I hate Instagram before and after shots. So this is not what this is. This is not what this is about. Um, but I do want to try to take care of my body because I do believe that it matters to God. I want to be healthy for my kids and for my calling. I want to be healthy for the sake of my emotional and spiritual health, and it is all connected with physical health as well. So this category includes everything from getting good sleep to regular exercise to having a healthy diet to doctor's visits and dental visits and things like that. For me, it's a plant-based diet, limiting my sugar and junk food intake to specific occasions, you know, when it's important. So um, I play... D&D with a group of friends, and there's just a smorgasbord of junk on this table, and, you know, that's part of the fun. You got to have, Patrick makes this, or I don't know, do you make them, or does Vanessa make them? You make them. It's like uh, essentially just (laughs) corn syrup and corn flakes, right? And peanut butter or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is horrible, but delicious. So I would eat them every day left to my own devices, but only at (laughs) D&D. Anyway, limits is what I'm getting at. Um, I'm working to, you know, average the seven to eight hours of sleep every night. I go to the gym twice a week. I've yet to establish primary care with a doctor, but I did write it into my rule of life for the first quarter of this year. So there you go. Ask me about it and hold me accountable. It's not that hard. Just make a phone call, right? Now, our recommended baseline practice for beginners is just like commit to getting good sleep, you know, the, at least the minimum of seven or eight hours a night, get some form of exercise on a regular basis as you are able, and to start thinking about the way that you eat. Remember, when you write your rule, set realistic goals that can be really small goals, but be really specific, and then try to commit to them. The next category is relationships. Now, think about the relationships in your life as concentric circles. So there are acquaintances, and then there are friends, and then there are your closest, most personal relationships and your community. Acquaintances, you just kind of see and spend time with as life dictates. With friends, there might be a kind of spontaneity to your relationship, or there might be like a unique and fluctuating reason why you might spend time together from one season to another, more or less given the season, but with your most intimate friendships and with community, uh, which includes spouses and kids, there's obviously priority there. So you invest time and disciplined, planned effort into keeping those connections healthy. What many of you already know well enough is that the, the more crowded life gets, or the older you get, the, the more responsibilities you have, the more your season of life moves you in a specific direction, the more difficult it can be to nurture and care for the relationships in your life. 
And it's easy to maintain closeness with someone who's important to you when life kind of just puts them organically in your vicinity all the time. But if that's not the case, or if that was the case and then it changes, you learn that you have to work at it to keep it up or people drift. So your rule of life might include things like a weekly phone call or coffee with a close friend or a weekly meal with your community, which a lot of you already do, church on Sunday, for married couples, it could mean like a recurring date night or cultivating and planning healthy, regular sexual connections. For families, it might be sitting down to dinner every night or Sabbathing together or taking annual vacations together, that kind of thing. For me, it's a breakfast and dinner around the table with fam my family every day, a time of prayer and Bible with our kids every night. When the kids go to bed, Abby and I make it a point to sit down and talk for a while about our day and how we're doing, even if it's not anything terribly serious, to at least spend a little bit of time catching up. We Sabbath together as a family once a week, which sometimes means going out into town or the library to get something to eat or go to the movies, or it could mean just sitting around at home relaxing, enjoying one another's company. We have, like many of you, again, community every week, church on Sunday. I have a few close friends who live in Portland, they go to a different church, so we're not organically in each other's lives by proximity or community, but we matter to each other, so every morning, uh, Monday morning, not every morning, that would be, they don't matter that much, so every Monday morning, <laughs> we meet for breakfast, call it Sitcom Monday, after the popular tendency to set a sitcom's main set in a diner or coffee shop, Sitcom Monday, so uh, then every month, the same group of friends comes to my house, they have dinner, watch a movie together. I play, like I said, D&D with another group of friends twice a month or so, which is as much about the friendship as it is about the game. And you really go on an adventure to get, this is not an ad <laughs> for the game. Um, we as a family take a, you know, like one real or bigger vacation where we travel on an airplane to someplace once a year. And then we take a couple of small family weekend getaways to the coast or to Seattle or something like that every year. Abby and I take another short and simple getaway, just the two of us, every year as well. Um, the recommended baseline practice, uh, if you're brand new to this thing, uh, varies for your season of life, obviously. For friendship, it might be a weekly phone call or coffee with a close friend, scheduled times to connect over a meal, that kind of thing. For church, it could be a weekly meal with a community, church on Sunday, regular parties, serving together. I learned today about a community that just went on like a, an annual retreat together. They went to uh, on a small vacation as a community. For marriage, it might be a 15-minute touch point per day or a weekly date night or cultivating regular sexual connection, regular getaways. For families, sitting down to dinner regularly, Sabbath, uh, weekly mother-son or father-daughter date. It can also obviously be father-son and mother-daughter. You, you get the idea. I didn't want to have to write it all out. <laughs> Annual vacation, family movie night, that kind of thing. Um, the recommended baseline practice is just to commit to a weekly meal with your community and some daily and weekly touch points with your spouse, children, or other family members and or closest friends. Remember, the idea is to set realistic goals, but to be really specific. If your thing is like a family movie night, don't just write, we should try family movie night. Say, once a month, on this day, we will have our family movie night. When you have a sense of your identity and calling, a sense of your vision and how that vision translates into a mission for this season of life and stage of apprenticeship, all of that translates into your vocation or your work which is the next category. And this could be your nine-to-five type of thing, or it could be the passion project to which you dedicate time outside of your nine-to-five type thing. And if those two things are not one and the same, your job and your passion project, then a rule of life 
can be absolutely crucial in organizing time to honor both of those responsibilities, your job and your passion and calling, because um, you shouldn't probably neglect bills and responsibilities and that whole thing, but you also can't neglect the things that God has made you to do um, that might be unique to or supplementing what you do to pay the bills. And the other side to all that is learning to complement your work with rest. That's why we spent weeks in a whole series about the Sabbath, Sabbath rest, that idea that God has designed us for a spiritual rhythm of work and then rest. Both are good and both are necessary. So your rule might include your work schedule, dedicated time to an entrepreneurial project, sleeping, you know, up to eight hours most nights, a weekly Sabbath, um, planning a nothing night once a week where the calendar has to be empty so that you're not going and doing but just resting. Um, for me, I work, as some of you may deduced, may have deduced by now here at Van City, uh, throughout the week. I spend each day, or I spend a day each week writing, and I spend uh, set times each month working on music alone and with some friends. It's important to me. Some, with some of those people, I also host a podcast. Um, a couple of times a year, I take a weekend trip to a tiny cabin and spend a few days doing nothing but writing, which is something I'd wanted to try for many years before I finally did while I was working out my rule of life. Because the rule of life is an excellent way to take those nagging ideas that so many of us have that, man, I should really get started on this or I should really make time to work on this idea that I have or this thing that's been in my heart. And a rule of life is a way to thoughtfully incorporate those ideas into the rhythm of your life so that they happen. But you can't just cram more stuff into your life. You have to prioritize rest proportionate to work. So Abby and I have a weekly night reserved for nothing extra. The calendar stays clear, just the two of us at home, and we spend a day each week in Sabbath rest as a family. Um, if you're just getting started, the recommended baseline practice is to commit to spend several hours each day devoted to your most important work and to a weekly day of rest. You'll obviously translate that into your own season of life, stage of apprenticeship, your specifics. All right, we're almost done. The next category is money. This includes making a detailed budget, which is something everyone should do, regardless of age or season of life stage of apprenticeship. Um, giving to the church, practicing simplicity, establishing a blessing fund, which is kind of set money set aside so that you can spend it on other people, sponsoring a child, that kind of thing. For me, it's keeping an annual and month-to-month -month budget. Um, we tithe to Van City every month as well as other justice causes, like we you know, sponsor a kid in Kenya who's 18 now. I just got a letter yesterday. I was like, what? This is, and now what happens, you know? Now, we also practice simplicity, which we've written into our rule of life by um, little rules or codes in our own life. We only buy things for ourselves via gift-giving occasions or with the money and gift cards that we inevitably acquire through gift-giving occasions, never just because. We limit eating out to once a week or less. We redirect excess money into savings and generosity so that we can remind ourselves that just because we have it doesn't mean we should spend it. If you're brand new to this practice, the recommended baseline is to commit to making a budget, that's number one, and to giving away a minimum of 10% of your income, to tithing or with special attention to the church and to the poor. Now, the final category is the gospel and hospitality, which includes things like uh, inviting a friend to church. That's the most basic idea, a regular night to host neighbors for dinner, spending time with coworkers, talking, getting to know their stories, serving the poor through volunteering, that kind of thing. 
Well, honestly, um, full disclosure, this is the category that's most difficult for me personally because I, I work full-time at a church. And even though I have been trying desperately to get Cam saved, there's little more I can do at this point. So I've kind of given up on that project. Um, <laughs> given that many of my coworkers already love Jesus, most of my first two concentric circles of relationships already love Jesus, which is great. I'm not afforded a ton of like organic opportunities in my day to rub elbows with people who don't already believe the exact same things as me, which means that I have to set focused but realistic goals to be intentional and outgoing with our neighbors, um, with the other parents that we're meeting now that one of our kids is in public school, and I use my you know, creative projects in an effort to further the gospel of Jesus as well. Now, most of you, I suspect, that don't work at churches have coworkers or fellow students whose faith or you know, neighbors whose faith is either a mystery to you, you don't know yet, or maybe you do know and they don't follow Jesus. So your opportunities are a bit more um, available or in your day-to-day rhythm. Some of you are already doing justice work here in the city or caring for foster kids, causes that are near and dear to the heart of God that provide amazing opportunities to both represent and to share the gospel on a regular basis. Well done. Thank God for you. The rest of us, like myself, have to be creative and intentional because no one comes to believe the complex and beautiful truth of Jesus just because their neighbor smiled and waved at them from time to time. So the recommended baseline practice, if you're getting into this, is to commit to learning your neighbor's names, have some conversations, not just the smile and wave, and to inviting a friend who doesn't follow Jesus over for dinner quarterly or with some kind of regularity. Okay, that's it. Those are the seven categories of the rule of life, abiding, mind, body, relationships and sexuality, work and rest, money, gospel and hospitality. Each of these categories translate into practices, like I've just told you, and each of those practices you organize by rhythms, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annually. Now, once again, I put my business in the street purely for the sake of examples. You can steal them or adapt them or ignore them while you make up your own rule that's nothing like mine. Earlier today, for example, Kiana was telling me that she and Dave can't easily pull off big vacations at the moment, so instead they like to take day trips to the coast to relax or picnic, so you might schedule something like that rhythmically in your rule of life if taking you know, long vacations isn't realistic for you right now. You don't have to buy a gym membership. You might just take walks every day for right now or use workout videos on YouTube. They're there. Um, you don't have to do an hour of contemplative prayer every morning. Maybe you'll start with like reading one chapter from the Gospels every day and 15 minutes in prayer, 10 minutes in prayer. Your rule won't and shouldn't look just like another person's rule because we all have unique circumstances and seasons of life and stages of apprenticeship, and we all have room to grow. That's the idea. So you start small with lots of room to grow into your rule, but you commit to what you put down on paper, and then you adapt it as life carries on. Over the next few weeks, as you meet with your communities, you'll head to vancity.church slash rule of life and begin the process of creating your own rule of life. If you're not yet in a community or if you're listening to this in the future on the podcast, um, feel free to join in just the same. But the reasons for this whole thing being preferable amongst community are probably pretty obvious. We need each other to actually do something like this. Church and community have been, for more than 2,000 years, which is a really long time if you're counting, not moral duties, 
not social obligations, but the way that we learn to follow Jesus well. They have been church and community, that is, the places where we are formed to be more like Jesus, the way we mold our hearts and minds and how we learn things like love and repentance and forgiveness. For a long time now, the leadership of Van City has been praying for more faithfulness from our family. We have about 100 people in Van City communities, and about a quarter of them show up on Sunday once a month or less than that. And I'm sure that coming from, you know, the pastor, it sounds personal, like I have a vested interest in numbers and people showing up. But honestly, for me personally, it has nothing at all to do with wanting to feel like our church is awesome for being really full. We've always been a small church. Our prayer is to grow in the months and years ahead, but we don't care about growth for growth's sake. The reason that we grieve, you know, bad attendance is because it evidences a very low view of church. And if we, as your leadership, aren't clearly communicating that this time isn't just fun and occasionally helpful, but that it is crucial in your discipleship to Jesus, then something isn't right. Church and community aren't just nice options on the calendar, something to enjoy when it's not sunny outside or when there isn't a game on or when we feel like it. This is how you follow Jesus. When I was first writing my rule and trying to get a rhythm going for exercise, which, like I said, was not something that I was doing, something that I hadn't been doing for years, I found it kind of chaotic and challenging to get it into the rhythm of my own life when I was doing it by myself. But then I ended up creating a routine with other people so that twice a week, me and two other dudes carpool to a certain place at a certain time to exercise. And we've been doing it that way faithfully for more than six months now. And this is about as good a metaphor for church as any. Togetherness can nurture faithfulness. But it's more than just that. This is a sacred place. It is a sacred time. This is communion and worship and the scriptures and family and food and drink. And it it may seem unremarkable sometimes, but it is sacred, even when it is unremarkable. And it is fundamental to realizing your rule of life because accountability is here and encouragement is here. And we all need reminding of why any of this matters in the first place, because we all forget from time to time. So we come to stand in the same room and raise our hands to the God of the universe and remember, oh, right, yes, over and against every bad or distracting thing in my life, God is very good. He is wonderful. Or we open the scriptures to remember the truth over and against every lie or distortion angling for our minds or vying for our attention throughout every minute of every day. Or we eat together to remember, oh right, that's, not, that's right, we're, we're not alone in this and we're not perfect. We are all, at some point anyway, shambling and hobbling along this narrow way and we need the arms of others to hold us up sometimes and sometimes we need to do the holding for someone else. And we take communion to remember the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus spilled for us and to be struck by the beauty and the scandal of such a thing again And again, as we look around a room of people remembering the same thing at the same time, and we treat, when we treat this space as optional or secondary, we neglect all of that, take it for granted, or worse. To follow Jesus, we need the church, we need community. And this community can act as a support and encouragement and and accountability as you work to realize your rule of life. In his book, Domestic Monastery, Ronald Rollheiser refers to what we call community as your cell, and he writes this. It's a long quote, but you'll be all right. 
He says, go to your cell, and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. Stay inside your vocation, inside your commitments, inside your legitimate conscriptive duties, inside your church, inside your family, and they will teach you what love means. Be faithful to your commitments, and what you are ultimately looking for will be found there. Every time you leave your cell, you come back less a person. This is telling us that every time we step outside our commitments, every time we are unfaithful, every time we walk away from what we should legitimately be doing, we become less a person for that betrayal. There's a rich spirituality in these principles. Stay inside your commitments. Be faithful. Your place of work is a seminary. Your work is a sanctuary. Stay inside them. Don't betray them. Learn what they are teaching you without constantly looking for life elsewhere and without constantly believing God is elsewhere. So to end, let me just pose a, a stark but fair question. Why live this way? Why church and community? Or why a rule of life? Why live by a code? The obvious and simple answer is Jesus, because Jesus lived by a code, and because he told us to be like him, because Jesus is good, and we love him, and we trust him, and isn't that why we're here at all? Whether you've been following Jesus for decades or just for a few months, you have likely seen something or heard his voice or found in him something undeniable and good, some strong current drawing you in. You don't make a rule of life, and you certainly don't live by a code to be moral or more successful or more organized. You do it because of Jesus. He lived that way, and he said that we should too, so we can trust that it is good. And we need each other to remember that and to put it into practice. So with that in mind, would you guys mind just standing up as we pray together and invite God's Spirit to empower us to do the things of Jesus. Thanks for listening to Vance City. You can connect with us and find more teachings and available resources at www.vancity.church. You can support Vance City financially at vancity.church/give.